Please have that passage open in front of you in John chapter 11 and verses 38 to 44 in particular. Let me ask you, I wonder if you've ever thought what is the purpose of the Bible? Why do we have this wonderful book? Well, it's quite simply to reveal God as he is, to reveal us as we are, and then the whole matter of man's relationship with God. And we know, of course, that today often the Bible is disregarded and people say, well, there's no point in reading such an outdated book. There's no point in listening to messages like this from the Bible. You know, we just want to get on with life. You know, we want to live our lives. We, we don't want to be bothered with all of this type of thing. But friend, you know, if you want real life, then you need to listen to the message of the Bible, the Word of God. You need to listen to the one who said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, the Lord Jesus. And the Bible is no ordinary book. It is not outdated. It is not irrelevant. No, it is the inspired Word of God. And God speaks to us through his word. You know, and here you are tonight by the grace of God in your specific circumstances, and yet it can speak to you. And it tells us what is the cause of of deep trouble and unrest, and it gives us the answer to that and the answer to our greatest need, which is our sin and our broken relationship with God. And so tonight in this passage, we're going to see the Lord Jesus do something so miraculous and wonderful, and yet also we're going to see how it points us to the truth of the gospel. And the Lord Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. And that's what happens when a person is saved. They hear the call of Christ, and they are brought to life spiritually. They're given eternal life. Now, it's interesting, if you were to read through the gospel of John And in fact, all of the Gospels you would see throughout the Lord's earthly ministry, he made many remarkable claims about himself. And these claims were often underlined with wonderful teaching, with authority, like no other. You know, no man spake like this man, they said. And also incredible displays of divine power. These wonderful occurrences, these miracles where the Lord demonstrates who he is. And when his enemies demanded to know whether or not he was the Messiah, Jesus said in John 10, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. And earlier in John's gospel, he had also said in John 5, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You know, and as he he went through and he, he did these wonderful things, when he healed the paralyzed man, Jesus showed in Matthew 9 that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins all the while reaffirming his claim that he is the Son of God, the Lord of glory, that he is who he says he is. When he cast out demons, he demonstrated, Luke 11, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come. You know, John the Baptist sent those messengers to ask the Lord Jesus if he really was the Messiah or whether they should look for another. Jesus says in Luke 7, 
Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, that the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And so all of these things affirm again and again who he was. You know, when the Jewish authorities came against him and demanded to know with what authority he could cleanse the temple, he replied in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And John then explains in his gospel that the Lord Jesus was speaking of, you know, his body, you know, speaking of the temple of his body. And the Lord said to his disciples that he would rise again from the dead. And his resurrection is the greatest proof of who he is, the truth of his claims. That's why Paul writes in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so here the, the raising of Lazarus underlines the claim of the Lord Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. And this miracle is actually the last of the seven that is recorded in John. But it is the most spectacular. And it would be a dramatic encouragement to the faith of the disciples, but also a powerful rebuke to those unbelieving Jews for their hard-hearted rejection of Jesus. Now, just a, a little note before we go on. In this passage, the focus is always the claim of Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. Christ is central, not Lazarus. You know, there are some who, who get taken off with all manner of things to do with Lazarus. And yes, it is wonderful. It's all there. But the resurrection of Lazarus was not an end in itself. Lazarus would die again. But the central point here is that Jesus and the Father would be glorified. And these verses that we have before us, they should cause us to, to wonder again at the, the, the great glory of the Lord Jesus, to bow in adoration before him. You know, Christianity is Christ. If you've not grasped that yet, you know, you have to face him. It's all around him. It's not a set of rules. It's not a, a different lifestyle pattern, you know, five steps to success or anything like that. It is to face the person of the Lord Jesus as revealed in Scripture. And tonight as you're sat there, you're either for him, you're either in him, you're either trusting him for salvation or you're against him and you're his enemy. You know, there is no in-between ground. You know, even at the graveside, you see that there's a division. You know, as he moves to call Lazarus from the grave, there are those who are against him and skeptical of him. And there are those who are sort of looking to him. There is this division. The Lord Jesus always divides. And you can't be indifferent to him. You know, and when you leave later, if the Lord spares us, you know, you'll either be for him or against him. That's just the reality. You know, as we see, if you look at these verses, you'll see that some exclaimed when they saw the Lord's deep love for Lazarus and they're moved by that. But others were outspoken in their criticism. Look at verse 37. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Now the Lord had, had healed this blind man several months previous. It was still in the minds of those who were there. And they had seen the way in which the Lord had healed with great power. And yet here, they've got these questions. You know, why had he delayed? You know, he loved Lazarus. Why didn't he come sooner? 
You know, why hadn't he tried to reach Bethany? Why hadn't he gone out of his way? Why could he have not healed him then? Why has the Lord permitted this? Ephesians 1.11 tells us that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that is enough for faith. And friends, maybe in our own lives, you know, we, we struggle at times with God's delays. Maybe we are, you know, looking to him for certain things, but we need to remember that God's delays are never without purpose. His perspective is so far more comprehensive than we could ever imagine, and he may delay so that he can deal with us a little bit more. You know, maybe it's our, our selfishness or an area of disobedience in our lives or to prepare us or to teach us how to trust him or to save us from ourselves. You know, but the reality is his delays are never without purpose. And this is why, you know, the Bible tells us again and again to, to wait on the Lord. You know, our disappointments, our failures and our confusion can all be brought under the all-embracing security of God's purposes for us in Christ he is for us and ultimately for the glory of God this is why Jesus delayed because his purpose was not just to heal Lazarus his purpose was to raise him from the dead to show a, a great demonstration of his power you know we are awaiting people in a world of instant gratification and expecting people in a world of rapid disillusionment and so when it seems as though God is taking too long to fulfill his promises in your life, don't lose hope. Trust him. His delays are never without purpose. And so the scene unravels before us and it's there and we see that the Lord Jesus is then faced with death in verses 38 to 39. And, you know, if you look at that, you'll see there that the doubts that were expressed in verse 37, they caused Jesus to be deeply moved as he comes to the tomb. And the groaning that we find in verse 38 is prompted by the unbelief in the previous verse. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Hebrews 12, endured such hostility from sinners against himself. You know, he, he was so much aware of their hard, antagonistic hearts towards him. You know, he was aware of all that was contrary to his holy nature and it draws this response in his heart. He, he groans within. And you know, as his people, if that's our state tonight by sovereign grace, we sense something similar ourselves in this broken world. Romans 8 tells us that we too groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We long for the day when sin and death and brokenness and pain is all gone. You know, when we're, we're finally done with the things of this world. And Jesus groans within himself. And so they're there at the, the tomb, and this tomb is a type of cave and has a level floor, and there will be shelves within carved into the walls where they will put the bodies and the entrance would be sealed with a, a large stone which would then, you know, stop grave robbers or animals getting in. Also, the tomb would have been slightly outside the village to minimize the risk of people becoming ceremonially unclean through contact with the dead. And so they're, they're gathered at this place and Jesus commands them to remove the stone and he does it with such calm authority 
in the midst of all that's going on and no doubt all the emotion and the, the outpouring of grief, the Savior with power over death, he speaks with such dignity and such command. And notice as well, there's no histrionics from the Lord. You know, there's no show, there's no performance, there's no building up, just a calm assurance before a glorious demonstration of his power. And he tells them to take away the stone. And we see Martha, you know, we, we see Martha all the way through and the Lord tries to remind her of the fact that he had said that she would see the glory of God if she believed. But Martha, you know, she's so taken up with all that's going on and in the midst of all of her swirling emotions, she, she doesn't understand, she panics. You know, she doesn't understand that the Lord is, is going to raise her brother. And we see in our text that, you know, she's concerned on a natural level that her brother's body, you know, it's, it would have begun to decompose after four days. You know, she's worried that it's going to stink. And uh, she's concerned over those, those details and the, you know, the, all that's there. And in her mind, you know, it's, it's just too late. It's too late for the Lord Jesus to do anything for, for Lazarus. You know, Lord, if you'd have been here, you know, if, you, if only you'd come at that time, you know, we, you could have done something, but, but it's too late. And in the midst of all of her grief, Martha had lost sight for a moment of the power of Jesus Christ. Her unbelief unwittingly attempted to limit the Lord. And, you know, even to, to put obstacles in the way of a wonderful manifestation of the glory of God. You know, and there are times when we can be a bit like that. You know, we, we limit the Lord and we think, well, Lord, you can never work in this situation. Lord, you know, it's too late. It's too far gone. But the reality is we have a Savior who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. And so the Lord Jesus, ever in his way, he partly encourages Martha, but he partly rebukes her by reminding her. He says, Martha, I've, I've told you that if you would believe, you will see the glory of God revealed. And he, he challenges her in that moment to stop focusing on the circumstances and on all the outward things that are going on and the body of her brother and all those things. Stop focusing on that and look to me. Stop focusing on those things. Look to me, Martha. Look to me and my power and the reality of who I am. And it's interesting because also there's an element there that even though the crowd is going to see this miracle, only the believers would see its true significance and the glory of what's taking place. And the glory revealed in the raising of Lazarus is of the one who can bring life from the dead. You know, this is the whole purpose of why Jesus came. You know, his person, his work, his death on the cross, his resurrection, to remove the wages of death. You know, that, that devastating effect which sin has brought to overcome that to conquer that, to swallow up death in his victory. And so he's faced with the tomb. And then in verses 41 to 42, we see that the Lord Jesus calls to heaven. He cries out to his father. The stone is removed and the Lord Jesus lifts his voice in prayer. And again, it's just so precious because you see the unity between God the Son and the Father, the unity and the, the fellowship and the submission, how humble he is. 
to direct those who hear him to his Father in heaven. And notice that the Lord Jesus was in asking the Father to raise Lazarus. He was thanking the Father for already hearing, just as he always heard him. And the Lord Jesus speaks with his heavenly Father. He calls him Father. And that, by the way, was unlike the Jewish practice of the day. They would never have dared to speak of God in such a manner. He prayed in the way that he did so that those around would hear and believe that he had been sent by the Father. It was a public affirmation of why Jesus had come, the fact that the Father had sent him, and he always did what was pleasing to his heavenly Father. You know, again, it's a challenge to us. We, too, should long for such closeness. And what, what a challenge for our own prayers and our motivations in prayer. You know that we should long to please our Heavenly Father. 1 John 3, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You know, the Lord answers the prayers of those who have a concern for His glory, a desire for His will, a desire for holiness, to be like the Lord Jesus. That is the way we are to be. And so he, he prays and he cries out. And then we see this wonderful occurrence. Look at verses 43 to 44. There is this thrilling suspense as our Lord closes his prayer to his Father. The stone is out the way. There is a stillness. What will happen next? Jesus raises his voice. And with mighty authority, he calls Lazarus back to life. That's interesting, you know, when you look at the text, it emphasizes that there is a, a loudness of this command. You know, there is, a, there is a speaking with such authority. It's a preview of, you know, the, the imagery that we see in Revelation of the, you know, the voice of many waters, all those sorts of things. This great voice, the voice of the resurrection and the life resounding beyond the grave and capturing the complete attention of all around and Lazarus himself. You know, I've said it many times before. It's often been said that the Lord's power is so great that had he not said Lazarus, you know, they all would have come forward. And in fact, friends, one day in the future, that is exactly what will happen. John 5, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so even in that, this raising of Lazarus from the dead is a preview of the divine power he will display when he raises all the dead on that last day. You know, and the words of Jesus in the original, they are abrupt, they are succinct, they are simple. Lazarus here outside. And to the amazement of the crowd, stumbling forward, you know, heeding the beloved voice that he knew so well, the man who had died came forth. No showmanship, no theatrics, no hype. The Lord's divine power spoke for itself. It's a stunning thing. And imagine the scene as Lazarus stumbles forward, still hindered with all the, the grave clothes, bound hand and foot in his face wrapped in a cloth. You know, imagine the reactions of shock and wonder and fear and awe and worship. As one has said, at his command, 
the king of terrors yielded up his lawful captive. The grave was robbed of its victory. The door of death and Hades was unlocked by the one who alone holds the keys. What a savior is Jesus. And in this dramatic event, we see not only Christ's power over death, but as I said from the outset, we see a picture of what it is for a person to be saved. You know, sinners are raised spiritually when they pass from death to life. You know, the experience of a, a true Christian is to be awakened from the dead. You know, according to the Bible, the only adequate explanation for the predicament that we all face is that we are spiritually lifeless. You know, it's not even that we're spiritually sick, as some like to say today. You know, outside of Christ, the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins. And let me ask you, how much can a dead person do to make themselves alive? Well, nothing. You know, and that's why, you know, people can hear the gospel message again and again and again, and it doesn't make the slightest impression upon their lives because they're dead. You know, some of you might be in that position tonight. You know, the gospel is so simple. It tells us that, that we're sinners, that we can't save ourselves, that we need to turn from our sin and believe in Jesus. It is so straightforward. You know, that the only way to be forgiven and to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. You know, many people, they, they hear that message again and again. makes no difference to them. You know, they hear it, and then they go home, and they forget it. And, you know, they might come again the next week. They hear it, they forget it. Now, why is that? You know, why do they not act upon it? It's so clear. Why do they never seek God? Why do they never ask him to, to give them the new birth that they need? Well, the Bible says it's because they're dead. They don't hear the voice of the Son of God because they're spiritually dead. They haven't got ears to hear. You know, the Bible says we cannot even hear the, the message of the gospel until we have that spiritual resurrection. Now, every faculty of the soul is dead. Our mind, our, our conscience, our affections, our will, everything is dead until we hear this voice, this voice of the Son of God. You know, dead to any godly influence, but God is able to awaken the dead. And humanly speaking, as with the case with Lazarus, you know, nothing could be done. Lazarus couldn't do anything to save himself. Neither can the sinner. And so you and I literally have a, a grave problem unless there is the one who is able to speak into our deadness. You know, we are, we are done. We are without hope. But that's why the gospel is so glorious. Because as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And what is impossible for man is possible for God. And God reaches down to where ruined, miserable, trapped sinners are and he brings them from that state to new life. He calls them out and his voice quickens the dead and brings them from death to life. You know, ask yourself, how was it that Lazarus came to life? It was the voice of Jesus. The one who alone can speak so that the spiritually dead hear. And just as Jesus brought life to lifeless Lazarus, so he breathes life into the deadness of men and women's spiritual condition. There has to be 
that quickening of a dead sinner to life by the Spirit of God, that intervention of God. You know, that's why, you know, what we proclaim here, the message of the Bible, you know, Christianity is not just another option for you to consider. It's not just something for you to, you know, pick up or put down or, you know, I'll go with it for a while and then, you know, I might try something else. Oh, no. It's the work of God to save and transform, and it lays hold of us. You know, this is what happens, new life, the dead receive. You just sung it. And I wonder if you heard his call. You know, it is an irresistible call. And it resounds through all the, the shackles of spiritual death. It breaks the captive free. And it looses us from our bonds of sin and death and hell. And he has secured such deliverance by his death upon the cross. He has purchased the redemption of his people from the wages of sin. He has paid himself that full price. He has met all the, the demands of the law, satisfied divine justice. And he delivers his people. He brings them into unity with himself so that the believer is alive in Christ. And by God's grace, as soon as people hear the voice of the Son of God, you know, they're alive. And that's the explanation. You know, you think even at Pentecost, when Peter stood to preach, you know, at the end of the message, you know, he proclaims Christ, the risen Christ, you know, and the people cry out, what must we do to be saved? You know, they, they'd heard the voice, they, they'd been made alive. You know, and that's what happens when God deals with the individual. You know, you can't, you can't hear that and then just walk away and go on and get on with your life and forget about it. No, it arrests you. You can't just set it aside and you say, you know, what must I do? How can I be right with God? And when people hear the voice of God speaking to them in the gospel, they want to know, how can I be saved? You know, I can't put this off. I need to know. And when someone is asking those types of questions, it's a hopeful sign that maybe there is life, hearing the voice of the Son of God. You know, I've told you this example many times before, but it always is a blessing to me. You know, in Bristol many years ago, George Whitfield, young preacher, preaching to the miners there. And uh, at the stage, he was preaching there. He wasn't very well known, but God would use him mightily. And uh, Whitfield, as you read through a number of his messages, he would often use this picture of Lazarus. And I'll give you an excerpt from one of his sermons. He said, come you dead, Christless, unconverted sinners. Come and see the place where they lay the body of the deceased Lazarus. See him laid out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, locked up and stinking in a dark cave with a great stone placed on top of it. Look at him again and again. Go nearer to him. See him. Smell him, how he stinks. Was he bound hand and foot with grave clothes? So are you bound hand and foot with your corruptions. And as a stone was laid over the tomb, so there is a stone of unbelief on your cold heart. Perhaps you've been in this state not only four days, but many years. And what is still more affecting, you are unable to raise yourself out of this loathsome dead state to a life of righteousness and holiness as ever Lazarus was able to raise himself. You can try your own power, your own free will, the force and energy of all your moral persuasion and rational arguments, but all your efforts 
exerted with all your vigor will prove fruitless till that same Jesus who said, take away the stone and cries, Lazarus, come forth, also quickens you. You know, and that young man preaching to those miners in the open air and the crowd to see a face blackened and covered in soot and cold dust and the miners were standing in rows listening to Whitfield preach Christ and their urgent need of Christ to trust the Saviour. And you know, he knew that they were hearing the voice of the Saviour because he could see those white lines on their faces as they wept tears of joy, knowing that there was hope for them, hope to be forgiven and right with God. And many of them were asking, Sir, how can a poor sinner like me find peace with God? The spiritually dead brought to life. You know, here you are this night, and you know, you're sitting there, and I'm urging you to believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, and I want to ask each one of you, consider this question. You know, you're answerable to God Almighty on the day of judgment. You know, how will you stand? You know, have you heard the voice of the Lord Jesus calling you to life, to turn away from the things that will destroy you and condemn you, and to come to life in Jesus? You know, if you have heard it, if you have heard his call, it is the best sound in the world. You know, the blessed sound of the Son of God speaking to you through his word, saying, come to me. Come to me and be saved. You know, many of us who are here tonight can say, well, thank God. I remember five years ago, or 10 years ago, or maybe 50 years ago or more, I heard the voice of Jesus. And I was given to believe in him. And I'm forgiven. And I'm alright. You know, if you've not heard it, what must you do? You cry out to him and say, oh Lord, you said in your word that you'll speak to sinners. Lord, I've never heard you. Please speak to me. You know, don't waste your time anymore. You know, even as I'm speaking right now, you cry out to him silently in your heart and say, Lord, I pray that I might hear the voice of the Son of God, that voice which quickens the dead. And makes their souls to come into a state of resurrection. Lord, I, I want that life. Lord, I, I want to be delivered. Lord, please have mercy upon me. And you know, when you cry out to him like that, he won't turn you away. You know, Lazarus comes forth from the grave. It's interesting, Jesus, he's so wonderful. And the way in which he cares for the practicalities too you know, as one has said, he was never so carried away by the wonder of his miracles that he forgot the needs of the person. And it's interesting that as some note, as Lazarus has been raised, they still need to take the grave clothes off him. By the way, when a sinner is born again, when they're given that new life, God's work of grace in his soul is, is not perfected, it's just begun. The old nature remains and the marks of the grave, as it were, and there's much that, that hinders the new man that needs to be loosed and, and taken away. But as earlier, there is significance in Jesus involving those bystanders in touching and taking the grave clothes off Lazarus because it shows again, you know, there's no illusion here. This is reality. And as they unbind him, it must have been so remarkable. You know, and there's that lesson, isn't there, that the Lord Jesus uses people like us to do his work in the world. 
And as one has said, there is no higher privilege this side of heaven than for us to be used of the Lord in removing grave clothes, you know, and seeing those who are dead now alive. You know, as we finish, John draws us this scene to its close and, you know, he doesn't give any details of tearful reunions or stunned reactions. In fact, he doesn't report in any detail of the experience of Lazarus after the resurrection. And you say, well, why? There is one focus, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified and that those who read this gospel might believe that he is who he claims to be. And although it was the climactic, miraculous sign of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, the raising of Lazarus pointed to the great glory to come. And only a short time later, Jesus himself would rise from the grave. You know, Lazarus rose with a, a mortal, corruptible body that one day would die again. But Jesus rose as the conqueror of death with his resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And because he lives, all believers, including Lazarus, will one day receive glorified, incorruptible bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? No more shall we wear the apparel of death, but forever wear the garments of righteousness and rejoice in the one who has set us free forever. You know, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And that's why that word at the end of verse 44, let him go. The believer longs for the day when after being loosed, we'll be allowed to leave these scenes of sin and suffering and death and to be forever with the Lord. It's a wonderful prospect. A blessed goal has been granted to us who know the resurrection and the life. And I pray that our eyes will be fixed on that goal and that we would run with perseverance that race that is set before us, but looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, do you know him? Have you heard his voice? If we have, we should stand in awe at such a saviour and fall to our knees to confess that he is worthy. And indeed, we shall praise him and adore him forever. Amen.